Welcome to Have Hope, Will Travel. I'm your host, Katie Axelson, and I know it looked weird when I slipped into church between the sermon and communion. So I sat in the back row, you know, like the back, back row, the one that's reserved for like the offering plate and then the ushers that accompany it. And I picked up the bulletin to read about this church and the second line in their description caught my eye. You're safe here, it said. And I could tell the ushers were looking at me confused, but accommodating. Was I safe there? No one else had noticed my late arrival, but if they had, would it be safe there? I'm a woman pastor. Am I safe here? I can recite the Apostles' Creed and the Lord's Prayer from memory. Am I safe here? I speak in tongues. Am I safe here? I don't move a lot when I worship. Am I safe here? I'm wearing jeans. Am I safe here? I've experienced prayerful healing. Am I safe here? I only know the song Oceans in Spanish. Am I safe here? I'm in my 30s and single. Am I safe here? I showed up between the sermon and communion. Am I safe here? There was a very specific beautiful reason as to why I was so late to church that particular week. But there have been seasons of my life when my strategy has been to show up five minutes late so that I can slide in once everyone else has already taken their seats. Before social distancing was even a thing, I was a professional. I would rummage through my purse during the greeting so that no one would talk to me, and then right before the end of the last song, I would slide out and run to my car because I didn't want to talk to anyone. And based on the reactions I got to the episode two weeks ago with Joy Vetterline, I suspect you have similar stories and similar coping mechanisms. If you've not listened to the unfiltered episode where two pastors tell you it's okay not to be in church, jump back to episode 30. And honestly, I think church wounds are among the worst kind of trauma. Because not only are your friendships and relationships involved, your relationship with God is involved. The people who are supposed to represent God to you have left you hurt. They've left you frustrated. They've left you disappointed. They've not been there for you. And all of a sudden, it feels like God has done those same things to you. You doubt the trust you have in God because he's been misrepresented by his people. Or because of how you feel he didn't come through because that thing happened. Life gets hard. It gets really hard. And we all want the Abraham and Isaac story, where Abraham has prayed for a child for years and years and years and decades. And he finally has this baby boy, Isaac. And Isaac's not so little anymore, and they are well beyond childbearing years. And God asks Abraham to sacrifice his son Isaac on the altar. The story's in Genesis 22. And at the very last moment, God stops him. And everything turns out all right. That's the story we want. And instead, we feel a little bit more like Mary at the foot of the cross, watching her baby boy be sacrificed for a crime he didn't commit. I don't have a son, so I can only guess what those parents felt like. But I, like many of you, have watched relationships die. I've had dreams that have died. I've had hopes that have died. And I could preach all day about the reasons I've been mad at God 
But since I suspect your story is currently crawling around in your mind, we'll skip mine for today. But let me give you permission. It's okay to be mad at God. God's a big boy. He can handle it. And if you're not sure you can say angry words to God because somewhere along the way someone told you that you can't, can you please read the book of Psalms? David is quite mad at God in quite a few of them. It's pretty ugly. David tells God like it is. Or at least like it is according to David. And he's a rightful king in exile more than once. So if anyone has a right to be mad, David has a right to be mad. So give yourself permission to be mad at God. To say those hard words to him. To tell him how you're really feeling. Because you're in good company. Hebrews 11 is full of stories of people who had every right to be mad at God. Yet for some reason, Hebrews 11 is also called the faith chapter. And if anything, I think it's encouragement for us to have faith that God won't leave us here in this mess. Because there are a lot of people in Hebrews 11 who didn't get to see or experience what they thought God promised to them. So give yourself permission to be mad at God. But don't give yourself permission to set up camp there and live angry at God forever. This is a rental house, not a purchased one. I heard a sermon from Bill Johnson once that changed my world. He talked about how disappointment is the forerunner to depression. I've felt it in my own life. I tried to donate blood last week. Deferred. I came home, my garage door was broken. That's a problem. I burnt bacon and set off my smoke detectors. Boom, boom, boom. Right in a row. And it's really easy for me to stay sad. It's really easy for me to think I've got nothing to be grateful for. The rest of that bacon tasted really good. And someday I'll tell you about how God actually fixed my garage door. It's okay to get disappointed. It's okay to be triggered. It's okay to recognize that there are a lot of uncertainties and unknowns right now in the world. But we can't stay there. We can't live there. We have to remember that healing is possible. Not only is it possible, it's important. I regularly hear stories from individuals who grew up in the church, but for whatever reason decided church life wasn't for them because they had some sort of traumatic experience or traumatic incident. And these stories break my heart because Jesus is still for each and every one of them. He's still cheering for each and every one of them. The same way he's cheering for you, the same way he's cheering for me. And let's recognize and align on the fact that we all have church traumas. If you don't, I really want to hear your story. Please send me an email, katie at katieaxelson.com. We all have church traumas. We all have God wounds. We all have had moments where our faith isn't enough. So my encouragement to you in those moments is to think of someone in your life whose faith you admire. And just for that day, for that week, for that hour, whatever it takes, I want you to borrow their faith. I want you to lean on their faith. They don't have to know you're borrowing it. It doesn't matter. But I want you to pretend that you've got the faith that that person has. There is actually power in fake it till you make it. And God's not going to get mad because you're trying. And the trying that you're doing 
is leaning into someone else and to say, I know this person believes, and so I'm going to believe. When I was in college, my campus pastor told our entire campus, there is nothing you can tell me that's going to shake my faith in God. That's a bold claim to say to a bunch of college students because college students are experiencing theology they've never encountered before. Their philosophy professors are often trying to intentionally work at their faith to tear them down. And yet my campus pastor said, there's nothing that you can say that's going to make me doubt my faith in God. And so sometimes I lean on his faith. Because there's nothing that is going to make him doubt, so there's nothing that's going to make me doubt. And now there's not just one person here that the enemy's attacking, there are two of us. Me and Neil. Neil has no idea he's sitting here with me, but Neil and I are sitting here. And the enemy can't get us. There are other friends whose faiths I lean on too. Whose worship styles I lean into when I'm not feeling it. You know, when it's safe for us to gather in worship. Whose prayer lives I'm leaning into. Whose voices I borrow on the days when I can't pray for myself. Think about the people in your world who've got an attribute that you admire and borrow it. Like you're borrowing a sweatshirt, try it on for size. See how it fits. If you recognize it's a little big, that's fine. Ask them where they got it and see if you can buy a smaller one. That analogy didn't work so well, but it's still the concept of try it, and if it doesn't work, modify it and make it work for you. Another thing that you can do is forgive God. Whoa, 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 Katie, that is heresy. I need you to hear me out. God doesn't actually need your forgiveness. But when we've been hurt by the church, we've been hurt by church leaders, we've been hurt by church people, we've been hurt by what we thought God said, our relationship with God is broken. And the same way you would take any relationship here on earth and move forward is through forgiveness. So you can tell God you forgive him. Even though he doesn't deserve or need our forgiveness, it still is one of the strategies that can repair that relationship, that can give you the chance to move forward. Say, God, I was hurt by that thing that I thought you said, but I forgive you, and I'm choosing to move forward, and I'm going to trust what you said again. And there's a difference between forgiveness and trust. We're not going to get into that today. But when it comes to God, they go together. So what does it look like to forgive and to trust God again? What does it look like to forgive yourself? You might not have done anything wrong. You might truly, genuinely be the victim where 100% of everything else is someone else's responsibility but it's still beating you down. So you need to forgive yourself for allowing yourself to be beaten down by what happened. Or maybe a portion of it is your responsibility. You can confess and forgive what you did that was wrong, even if it's 1% of what was wrong. The Lord still forgives you. He still loves you. And he offers you that same forgiveness to offer to yourself. So forgive God, forgive yourself, and look at who you're surrounding yourself with. Who are you following? I mean that both literally and figuratively. 
There's a section of road between my house and my work that's been under construction for months and months and months. Normally it's a four-lane highway. Each side is condensed down to one lane each way. And I drive it twice a day, which means I know this section of the construction really well. And on my way home the other night, right before the two lanes merged into one, the car that I had been driving in my blind spot raced to get ahead of me. Except when he got to the construction site, he slammed on his brakes and he slowed down considerably. Had the car now in front of me just slowed down a little bit and slid in behind me, I actually could have led him through the construction zone at the safely construction speed. But instead, we turtled our way home that night. And I couldn't help but chuckle to myself. Because I drive that weary, windy, orange-coned road every single day. I know every turn and every lane change. And if he'd have been willing to follow me, it would have been a lot safer for everybody. But instead, he had to be in the lead. He wanted to be in charge. And I get that. I don't want to follow slow cars either, as evidenced by this story. I want to be in charge. But sometimes I have to slow down and let Jesus lead. Another night, we got to that same construction zone. And the three cars in front of me took a weave that wasn't the way the road wove. Wove? Weaved? What? What? The road went the wrong way. Or they went the wrong way from the road. And I kind of slowed down for a second and figured, oh, the construction zone changed today. No, it hadn't. Those three cars were actually driving in the oncoming traffic lane. And I had to pause for a second and decide what I was going to do. Was I going to continue to follow the incorrect path to keep the traffic pattern going the same way? Or was I going to lead us back to the safe zone of what is really supposed to be our lane? Realizing that I was risking an accident when we got to the end of the construction zone and the cars driving in the oncoming lane needed to come back into my lane. Of course, I went the right way. And when we got to the end of the construction zone, I got there first because I was actually following the road and they were lost. And I just stopped and let them back in. Of course, all of the cars behind me followed and we did so safely. We changed the traffic pattern back to what it was supposed to be. We restored traffic. That's what Jesus does. He changes life back what it's supposed to be. He restores our relationship with the Father. We've talked about healing on a personal level these last couple of episodes and today. But what does it look like when we talk about healing on a worldwide level? Because that's what the baby in the manger does. He offers worldwide healing. We celebrate his coming and we're singing familiar songs and familiar hymns that we've sung for generations and generations. But they seem to have a whole new meaning this year. As we're singing those songs once again, I'll be home for Christmas, if only in my dreams. Silver bells, there aren't shoppers bustling home and smiles on every corner. Instead, we're living out the have yourself a merry little Christmas. Everything's different this year. Christmas is normally an anchor of traditions and nostalgia, most of which are currently requiring creative ways so we can come even close to having our traditions happen this year. Each family is having to make the hard decision of what's going to be the right, safe choice for them this year. And the lyric that's touching my heart the most is a weary world rejoices. 
because as we cruise into the end of 2020, I think our world is weary right now. But that's not the whole line from A Holy Night. The rest of the line, a thrill of hope, the weary world rejoices, for yonder breaks a new and glorious dawn. Oh, aren't we so ready for that? I think deep down we all know we can't put our hope in 2021. Sure, some things are going to change in January. But a lot of things, they're going to remain the same. We can't put our hope in a vaccine. While it's going to solve some of our problems, it won't fix the economy. We can't put our hope in stimulus checks. While they do offer some fixes, it's not going to solve the racial injustice. We can't put our hope in a new president. While his inauguration will resolve some things, it's not going to make everyone like him. What I'm saying is that there's no perfect solution here on earth for us to put our hope in. These are all important things. A new year is good. Masks are good. Vaccine is good. Stimulus is good. A new president is good. Racial equality is very good. But no single one of these things is going to resolve everything. So as we wrap up this Advent season, this week with the coming of Christ, hope is born. All right, take a deep breath. I'm done being political. Did you feel your body relax when I said that? Because mine did. I want you to take your eyes off the news and the fake news, the social media and the massive opinions. And I want you to put your eyes back on the little baby, the one who's sleeping in the manger, the one whose parents took a very, very long journey to get there. And I want you to picture yourself in that scene. Not in the nativity scenes you've seen or the ones that you've got in your front yard or on your decor. I want you to picture yourself, the manger, in Bethlehem. And I want you to gaze down on the little baby Jesus. The one who's headed to carry the sins of the world. The one who really does change everything. Because this is what safety really means. This is the presence of Jesus. This is where those who aren't welcome anywhere find home. This is Christmas. If your schedule allows, linger here at the manger as long as you're encountering the Lord. Maybe even stay a little bit longer just to see what happens. Cast your eyes on the baby. Look at Mary and Joseph. Appreciate the journey of the Magi. The astoundment of the shepherds. The beautiful song of the angels. Enjoy the moment. And remember that that little baby is your savior. The savior of the world. The one who is safe for us to put our hope in. He's also a baby. Gaze on him. Do whatever it is you like to do with little babies. Pick him up and hold him. Tickle him. If you find it safe to do so, put a kiss on his forehead. Hold him close. The Savior. The baby. In a manger.
As always, thanks for listening, my friend. Be sure to hit that subscribe button, leave a rating, leave a review, share the episode with a friend. We'll see you again on January 4th. We've got a new friend coming to share her story. In the meantime, I'd love to connect. I'm on Instagram, Katie Axelson, Facebook, Katie Axelson Writer, and of course at katieaxelson.com. That's where I'm going to be ringing in the new year. We'll see you soon.